Welcome to Covenant Church's Sermon Discussion. This conversation happens most Wednesdays on Facebook Live between me, Michelle Lichty, the Communication Director at Covenant, and the Preaching Pastor from the previous Sunday. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to the sermon before listening to our discussion. Good afternoon. I am Michelle Lichty, and I'm here with David Henderson. Hi, everybody. And we are here to discuss, David, your sermon from this past Sunday, um, God's sacrificial provision and our response. Um, We have missed having our sermon discussions for the past couple of weeks because you've had back surgery. Yes. And now you are almost recovered. (laughs) You have recovered. Surgery, smurgery. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, God is so gracious, and I know a number of you are aware of this, but um, the surgery recover has, recovery has been so quick and smooth. Um, I really don't feel like I had back surgery. And, um, and then what's remaining still to be dealt with is my nerve coming back to life. That was the reason they kind of rushed to surgery was mm-hmm. weakness and numbness and, and discomfort in my leg. And um, and they just said that's likely to return and it'll take a while. So that might be a couple month process, but yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the love of the church family that's been shown in all kinds of ways, um, including in prayers. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, we're thankful that, uh, that everything is going so smoothly and that you're you. back in the pulpit. Um, So the sermon this past Sunday was from Exodus uh, 24 and portions of Hebrews and other portions of Exodus as well. Um, It's all on our blog, all of the verses um, that it covers. And we, and so we're talking about God's sacrificial provision um, in order for us to have a relationship with him. Right. That's that's the whole reason for God bringing his people to Mount Sinai in the wilderness after after delivering them from slavery in Egypt was so that he could have a relationship with them. They could have a relationship with him. Michelle, that is absolutely right. And um, and I think we can miss that, especially in the Old Testament. There are so many things culturally and um and sort of in terms of religious ritual, uh, from that perspective, there's so many things that can distract us from the bottom line story. And that so struck me as I was going, through, as I've been going through this whole series, and it, and then as specifically as I was in this passage, as I was thinking, yeah, this is, you boil the, this whole uh, 14 chapter story down and the essence of it is, I am bringing you to myself that we might be in relationship together. That's boggling. And mm. to see it through that lens, I think, really changes the way that we see the ways that God reveals himself. And, and even some of the, the uh, like these daunting displays of his holiness and his transcendence of earthquakes and trumpet blasts and all that. Mm-hmm. That, that's not God's not doing this. He's doing this, but um, in order that we might know more who He is, and that I th- think that just really changes the re- the way we read the whole thing. 
I think it does. I think, um, yeah, it, it, that was revolutionary to me thinking about all of these, um, physical phenomena that God was using to describe himself, to present himself to the, to the Israelites here in this passage. Um, I, I had always, I had always thought of it as like, yeah, stay away, stay away. Only Moses stay away. Everybody else just stay away. And it's like, well, no, that's not really it. And I think, um, one of the things that I, that I was like, oh, now I get it after how many growing up in the church and how many years of Bible study and how many years of, of sermons and how many years of whatever. Um, the one thing that I understood, like, I think really for the first time was why the sacrifices, why the blood, why does blood need to be spilled? I've asked that question before. And I'm like, I don't know why I don't understand why. And I guess I don't need to because God requires it. So I just have to accept it. And your explanation on Sunday that there's not just a power inequity between God and, and humanity, but there's a moral inequity. I was like, Oh, of course that's, it makes sense now. And when, when a life is required of us, that's not God giving us the smackdown. It's not punishment. It is a, a payment commensurate to the crime. It, mm. is, it is a proportionate uh, consequence of my rebellion against God and my wrongdoing against the people that God's put around me. Mm-hmm. And and then God graciously does this, you know, that, that little machine with the balls that go back and forth on the, somebody's desk. You know, it's a, he, he puts himself in the place of us, mm-hmm. ultimately. I mean, that's where right. what starts at Mount Sinai ends at Golgotha. They are the, they are the same story begun and finished. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't think about framing it in that way on Sunday, but that's, this is all of that gets us ready for Jesus on the cross, stepping on to the cross in our place hmm. yeah. to bear that, which is a right and just and fair and reasonable cost of our rebellion against our creator and our maker. And it, I mean, and really, I mean, I know for this sermon series, we're in Exodus, right? But the story really does begin in Genesis And, you know, and when Adam and Eve rebel against God, God sacrifices an animal to cover them with with the animal skins. Yes. And so that's, I mean, really, that's where it starts. And it doesn't, and it, so the story, yeah. yeah. So I guess my point is, is that the whole Bible is one story. And I love going back there because there. It is so clear what we can miss in Exodus 24, which is that it is a grace gift in kindness. God clothes his people. Mm. Well, that's exactly what's happening in Exodus. In kindness, God is clothing his people um, and shielding them from wrath, from holiness, from the just 
disproportionate consequence of our rebellion and sin. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said before we went live was um, understanding God's holiness and God's love. Some of us understand God's holiness and have a hard time grasping his love. And some of us grasp his love and have a hard time understanding his holiness. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's just an observation that uh, has been dawning on me over years of pastoral ministry, realizing that each of us, I, and I think it's a consequence of living in a fallen world, we, we, we all have um, narrowed lenses in terms of what we're able to grasp of who God is. And I think our upbringing really substantially impacts our capacity to grasp who God is. And I, I've just noticed this kind of divide as a starting point among people that seems almost to be universal. I, I don't know that I found an exception to it yet, where one, we, we all have a propensity that has us falling one way or the other. Um, we think of ourselves as basically, hey, I'm a good person. I'm, I, and often that's a person who grew up in a home where they felt very loved and celebrated for the uniqueness and, and mm -hmm. they were honored and respected and they're growing up and, um, and it, there wasn't a parent who was fickle or inconsistent in their love towards them. And for that person, often the holiness of God, this, there is a profound cost to the wrong you do. It's like, what, what, what? No, that's. That's just, that feels like that kind of um, mean, wrathful Old Testament God that I don't want to have anything to do with. And, mm. and, but we don't get to decide what's true about God's character, but that's going to be more foreign to the person who grows up being able to get the love of God. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm in that category. I grew up knowing of my belovedness and, um, and I've had to wrestle with coming to grips with my own sinfulness and owning mm -hmm. that acknowledging that before God and before others. And then, and then there are probably as many people who just grow up with a deep sense of guilt or shame of, of the, and some of that just may be a much more fine-tuned conscience than I have. And some of that may be uh, an upbringing where they feel what, what they do wrong is always exposed or it's never enough, or you're failing to meet my expectations. Oh, you disappointing child. And you know, whatever, and mm -hmm. then that gets imported into a relationship with God. And it's like, God's disappointed with me. Oh yeah, I totally get that. That's, I disappoint everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm always falling short. I'm always failing. Uh, people who are conscious stricken and always aware of the gap. Um, and, and for them, it's like, well, yeah, I get the holiness of God, but how could he love me in the face of that? It, I mean, is it, isn't it either you love me or you know me? Um, mm -hmm. not both, isn't it? And, and so I think, I think Exodus 24 is such a cool passage in that, and this longer story, even more so here's the utter failure of the people of God building this, uh, idol in Exodus 32. <laughs> the next thing God does is he passes before Moses in Exodus 33 and 34 and says, I love you. I forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. And there are consequences to your sin. It's like the the love and the holiness of God come together. And I just think, and we've talked about this before, but I just think there is so much of a propensity as people shaped by a consumer culture and the marketplace way of thinking from the, from our first breath in Western culture 
um, we, we approach God as shoppers. Uh, mm. I, I, yes, I want this sandwich, but take, take off this. I don't want the onions or I don't want the blue cheese or I don't want the whatever. And, and we can approach God that way. Yeah. Right. I, I really like these parts of God, but these parts, I just want to not have anything to do with. And, and I think that's part of what makes it, what happens in this whole encounter between God and his people on Mount Sinai so powerful. I mean, I, I may have mentioned this in an earlier conversation we had, Michelle, but you know, if, if it happened the way it happens in ordinary life, the people of God would have left Exodus. Coincidentally, it would have just felt like, wow, what just happened? And they would have strolled right past Mount Sinai and it would have just been one more mountain. It was only the grace of God that he kept kind of peering through the curtain and saying, this is me. Here I am. This is what I'm like. Here, here are glimpses of me. Here are pictures of me. This is my strong right arm that brought you out of Egypt. This is my eagle's wings that brought you here to my footstep or my, mm-hmm. my doorstep. Um, yeah, so this incredible loving gift of God making his holiness and his love and mm-hmm. his transcendence known to us. Yeah, a couple of things crossed my mind. One is this consumer culture goes back hundreds of years in the U.S. I just was thinking about Thomas Jefferson's Bible, where yes. he cut out oh, everything yep. that he didn't agree with or didn't want to uh, yep. want to acknowledge as true. And I'm like, wow, Thomas Jefferson. I mean, that was a couple hundred years ago. So yes. I mean, this is goes back a long time right. um, in in American society, at least. That picking and choosing. Yeah. That picking and choosing that um, I only want God on my terms and not his. Um, And then the other thing that you mentioned towards the beginning was talking about guilt and shame. And I just want to kind of step back a little bit and just remind us of what those definitions are, because Mm. sometimes we can think they're the same thing. Mm. And, um, you know, in your sermon, you were very clear as to guilt and shame, both are barriers to a relationship with God, um, but they're different things. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can define them or do you want me to define those? Yeah. I mean, very quickly, uh, guilt is something is wrong with what I do. Shame is something with what is wrong with who I am. And both are true. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting, Michelle, um, I, uh, have spoken with missionaries who've talked about how hard it is to communicate the gospel in like near Eastern, Middle Eastern cultures, uh, that are totally shame-based but not guilt, not individual guilt based at all. That, Mm. that aspect of their conscience is not cultivated and they're very oriented towards doing right and wrong in the context of the community and being rejected or accepted by the community. And uh, there's a guy who wrote a book called grace for shame. I can't remember the name of the author and it was transformative in my sharing the gospel with people. I mean, transformative in my, Mm. and my pastoral relating because what this guy goes through, he, he picks, he studies the theme of shame all through the scriptures and says, the Bible talks about shame every bit as much as it talks about guilt, even in the context of the gospel. He hmm. bore the, Jesus bore the shame on the cross, you know, the, as he hung there naked paying for our sin, he bore our, that the fact that something was wrong with us. So this guy's, this guy's point very quickly is that um, when we do something wrong, what we need is forgiveness. When we, when who we are is wrong, what we need is acceptance. 
So a faithful communication of the gospel is, and, and so often as evangelicals in particular, we can communicate, I don't accept you, but forgiveness is available to you. And we think that's a faithful proclaiming of the gospel. And, mm. and he, he talks about how biblically, how crucial it is that we communicate the acceptance of Jesus, accepting the tax collector and accepting the prostitute and accepting the drunkards um, as a way of proclaiming gospel truth to them, not condoning them, not just settling, mm. you know, but as a way of communicating truth to the gospel. Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah. That's, I should probably read that book. What is it called? It's again? a great one. Grace for Shame. Grace for Shame. Okay. I'll have to look that up. Um, if I think of it, I'll put a link to it in the, um, on our blog page. Great. Um, so I think, um, yeah, just, just thinking a little bit more about guilt and about shame and about how um, there are barriers to relationship with God and the whole point of this series is, is that God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative to invite us into relationship. And here he's taking that initiative to uh, plow down those barriers. Yes, exactly. He, he draw, he, he reveals the barriers that are already present between mm-hmm. transcendent creator and dependent creature and between holy God and falling short of the glory of God, uh, us and between loving creator or loving God and unloving people. Mm -hmm. He, he brings those into such stark relief. And then, um, in order that we can, I think, realize what it means for us to approach God worship is seeing what God is worth and then giving him what he's worth. If we don't, if we just see God as a slightly inflated version of us, what are yeah. we going to give him? Right. But when we see him in that light, my, my wow. life isn't enough to give him. My, yeah. The entirety of my service, the, the fullness of my devotion, my deepest allegiance, none of those things are sufficient. Um, love so amazing, so divine Fine. demands my life, my soul, my all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, for those who those of us who don't understand the holiness. um, One thing that I've been struck with in my old Testament studies has been, you know, we're talking about God's sacrificial provision and about all these sacrifices that they made here in Exodus in order to, um, to be able to be in God's presence. And then in order to have a meal with him, And, um, and then, you know, later on in Exodus and in Leviticus, God establishes, you know, this is how you worship me in, in this time, which is a lot of sacrifices. And one thing that it's easy to read and it's harder to envision in our 21st century, 23 first century world is the blood oh the blood so much blood is involved in these constant sacrifices before the altar of god and when i sit back and think about 
um, the priests and the work that they had to do and the cleanup and the smells and, and the mess. I just think, wow. Like, and that wasn't even permanent. Like that wasn't, that, that had to be done over and over and over and over and over again, because it wasn't, because it was, it wasn't permanent. It wasn't God coming in and, and, and sacrificing himself. And it just helps me realize like, it's serious. It's serious. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, I think that is, that's right. The, and I think that's something that we can miss is the blood uh, captures so powerfully the gravity. I think a, uh, an interesting thought experiment would be to swap the word blood and life because it was in the mm. in the ancient world, it was an understanding that it was um, in your blood that your life was found. Um, mm. So uh, the all of this being marked by the blood, being uh, the blood being poured out, the blood being collected, the blood being spilled. Uh, if you trade that out with the word life, it was a life being taken, a life being offered. I'm I'm. Uh, my life has been exchanged for this other life. And when we hear it in that way, I mm. think we hear the gravity and the wonder of it all the more. And that brings us to that, like you said, wow, you know, this guy it was just clearer this time through of, of why that the sacrifices were necessary, that whole idea of substitutionary atonement. Um, a life is offered in substitution for the life that I should be paying, giving, right. should be being taken from me. And the word atonement means at one So I am made one with God. We are, we are alienated from each other. And as a result of that substitution, his life for mine, I'm reconciled to God. His life for mine, I'm reconciled to God. I mean, that's the essence of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And because it's God's life, it's permanent. It doesn't ha- we don't have to go through the sacrifices over and over and over and over That's again. That's exactly right. Yes. And which leads us into Hebrews. Yeah. And so because we have such a great high priest, let us uh, approach the throne of grace with confidence. Yeah. Knowing that there we may receive grace and find mercy in our time of need. I mean, what, what a way of bringing together the whole story and capturing the heart of God to bring his people near. I mean, Mm -hmm. that picture of, it's kind of the end yet. I am holy. I am transcendent. I am utterly other than you. I'm majestic. I'm high. I'm mighty. And yet I have opened the door that wasn't there Mm -hmm. through my son at cost to himself, at cost to me in order that you might be able to run with confidence into my presence. So, I mean, what that is the, basis for intimacy with God is on the basis of his provision. I can approach him with freedom, with joy, with confidence, none of which, um, none of which (laughs) resides in me as the basis for it. I can't, it's not, there's not anything in me that gives me that footing. It's entirely on God's side Mm. that that footing is established. Praise God. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we praise him. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, it's, it's interesting. 
and we've we've touched on this briefly before in our conversations, but you know, there's some people who would say, you know, I I, I just want a sermon that can tell me what to go do on a Tuesday afternoon or Thursday morning. You know, just give me some practical steps. Just tell me what to do. And and I'm convinced that so often faithful preaching is just bringing back into the light what's true so that we can be moved by it all over again. And that that's absolutely what Sunday's message is about. You know, what's the go and do likewise? There isn't, you know, it's not like, and therefore you go climb the nearest mountain and, and, and have a picnic with God. You know, that's not what it's, it's, um, I, I, the whole thing is meant to just open us to awe all over again, to be moved, to wonder, to be brought to tears. Really? God did that for me? Mm-hmm. How can that be? Yeah. And to worship him all over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we will end there. Thank you so much, David, for your time this afternoon. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, it. Michelle. Thank you. And thank you to our audience who have joined us, whether you've joined us live on Facebook or later on our blog or on our podcast. We are grateful for the few minutes of your day that you have decided to spend with us. I hope you have a wonderful day.